Hey, what's up, everybody? Hope everybody had a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. And of course, uh, it's New Year's Eve for some of you listening in uh, the eastern part of the world. For us over here, it's New Year's Eve tomorrow. Wishing everybody a happy, healthy New Year. Happy New Year, guys. You see Tiffany's rocking her Chargers cap. I got my Rams cap. Both L.A. football teams are going to the playoffs. They're still the San Diego Chargers. God damn it. That's it. <laughs> What's up, Jack? Jack's on. Look, um, guys, usually on my channel, those of you who follow me for a while, you know this. I do a bunch of year-end award videos. Like It's kind of like a sequence of videos. And uh, I but was... this year, we're mixing it up! Yeah, we're trying something different this year, but it's mostly because we're just busy renovating a house. So everything's been crazy. I'm trying to work out some, uh, some job situations, some employment stuff. Uh, so it's just, it's nuts. So I thought I'd just do a live video and put everything here. I know that, look, the NFL playoff picture is still being pieced together. You know, the uh, Sunday Night Football is just about to start. So a lot of you guys are probably watching football or you're with family, you're on vacation, whatever. So there's not going to be a lot of you guys watching live. Those of you watching live or listening live, whatever, you know, please get in uh, your questions and I'll, I'll answer them. But I know a lot of you guys are probably going to watch this after the fact. In the coming days and weeks, uh, as we kick off 2019, you can go back to this video. I will post the audio version up on iTunes, and that'll go out to all the uh, podcast channels and streams and all that stuff I don't even know about. So you will get the audio version for those of you guys who like to watch the Neutral Corner or listen to the Neutral Corner podcast. I'll upload the audio of this up to iTunes. But for now, uh, look... Get your questions in. Tiff will get them to me. I'll answer some questions. Um, but let's let's go just top to bottom here. And, um, you know, I'll start with Fighter of the Year. And normally that's like the biggest award. But to me, it's the most obvious award this year. And it's Alexander Usyk, right? It's clearly the 2018 Fighter of the Year, Alexander Usyk. If you don't have Usyk as your Fighter of the Year this year, you're a moron. Or you're either biased, you're blind, or you just don't know what the hell you're talking about if you watch boxing. Okay? Of course, there are other candidates. I think Noyoya Inoue, Maurice Hooker is a candidate. Obviously, guys like uh, Vasily Lomachenko, and there, there are others. But Usyk, three fights, three title fights. He cleans out the entire cruiserweight division. Does it in, how many fights does he have? Uh, 15, 16 fights, something like that. This year, all three of his fights, again, title fights, he collected titles in the first couple. He wins the World Boxing Super Series tournament, the first ever, first season of it. And then he goes to London and scores a KO of the year contender against uh, Tony Bellew. So all things considered, all three fights on the road in different countries, that's a world champion, becomes the undisputed cruiserweight champion, Arguably, you could make an argument he's the most ac accomplished cruiserweight already in the history of the division. And next year, the cruiserweight division will be 40 years old. It was created in 1979 by the WBC. So in the 40-year history of the cruiserweight division, and remember, it used to be 190 pounds. They moved it to 200 pounds. You could make an argument Usyk is the most accomplished cruiserweight ever. Now, some people will point to Evander Holyfield, and that's a debate that's going to go back and forth. And I do need to do a rant video discussing that because I think Usyk's already accomplished more than Holyfield did. But some people, I understand why you like Holyfield better. Either way, he's either the first or second most accomplished cruiserweight ever 
in the history of the division 40 years. So uh, Usyk, clearly Fighter of the Year. And I'm trying to think back to recent fight Fighter of the Year winners. I can't think of one that is this clear-cut, this dominant. You think of some recent years, you know, Fighter of the Year winners, and really they won the award off one fight. Or they only fought once or twice in that year, but it was one big performance. And that's how they won. You know, it was a big accomplishment. One fight, that's how they got Fighter of the Year honors. For Usyk to do it the way he did it, I think is awesome. And he's, his career, his professional career is still so young. Uh, I think it's just going to go on from here. Sometimes you have flash in the pan Fighter of the Year winners. You think of guys like Nonito Donaire. You think of Carl Frampton. And then you have guys that stay around and keep winning the award over and over, right? Usyk might be one of those guys. So anyway, that's my Fighter of the Year. Now, Fight of the Year. Fight of the Year. This is one that I know we'll probably argue about this one. I mean, great candidates. Sri Saketso Rungvisai versus Juan Francisco Estrada. I was there for that fight. That was there uh, in Los Angeles. And... It's, this, this year has been so long, and we've done so much. You know, Tiffany and I, this year has been nuts for us, our life. We've been all over the place. But uh, it's, it's crazy to think that fight was this year. But it was. And that was a great fight. It had a round of the year contender. Round 12 of that fight was awesome. But I don't think it's, it's, the, it's the winner. Uh, Murat Garcia versus Uniel Dorticos. Uh, that, to me, was a very good cruiserweight fight. It had a crazy ending with that crazy dominant knockout uh with i thought i thought dorticos was up early i thought gassiev came back in the middle rounds and got got him out of there late so much on the line in that fight and it lived up to expectations that's definitely up there jared hurd versus versus Irislandi lara uh, lara has been accused of being a boring fighter being dull right against hurd he really showed some metal and, and he uh showed toughness and uh, veteran um, discipline in that fight, just uh, determination. It came up short. Hurd was the winner, I thought, clearly, but, but still. And, and then for Hurd to be such a young guy taking on your toughest challenge, look, we recently saw the two Charlo brothers take on their toughest challenges as pros. They didn't do so good. Whether you thought they won or not, because both scorecards were a little controversial, in that doubleheader we saw in Brooklyn recently on Fox. The Charlos, their first step up, they didn't do so good. But Jarrett Hurd, his first step up against Lara, and you can make an argument that Lara is better than the two fighters both Charlos faced in uh, last week in, in Brooklyn. And Hurd passed the test, man. But he had to fight. He had to bite down. He was down early. He had to bite down late to win. So that's a fight of the year contender. And I know a lot of people like that fight as fight of the year for 2018. I think there's one that beats it out. But another contender, Alex Saucedo versus Lenny Zapavina. That for, for just all-out action, fight of the year contender. But as far as the level of fighters that those two guys are and you know how the fight played out and everything, that's not the winner. To me, the winner, don't groan, it's Gennady Golovkin versus Canelo Alvarez 2, the rematch. That was the fight of 2018, and I'll tell you why, okay? It was the fight of the year because, number one, it was the biggest event of the year. So that, that matters, but oftentimes the biggest event of the year is sometimes the biggest letdown. How many times have we seen that in recent years? But this fight was great. 
It was better than the first fight. And there was so much lead up and drama and soap opera bullshit before it finally happened that when it happened, the stage was, was, was it couldn't have been bigger, okay? And both guys exceeded expectations. The fight was better than the first one. That's important because the first fight last year was a fight of the year contender in 2017. So for the biggest event of the year, with boxing's biggest star, make no mistake, the biggest star in boxing is Canelo Alvarez. Go ahead and call me a shill. It's just the reality, guys, like it or not. Biggest event featuring the biggest star, and it not only lives up to expectations, it exceeded them. So that is the fight of the year in 2018. And, you know, 2018, just take a step back here. Just, just some thoughts about this year, man. Uh, a lot changed. Just the, the, the state of the game, right, uh, in boxing. DAZN made a massive splash. And you look at the investment they made in boxing. It wasn't a tiny little investment. You're talking a billion-dollar-plus investment in the sport. And it wasn't just with one promoter. It was with multiple promoters, multiple platforms. They got the two biggest stars in the sport. Uh, both you know on both sides of the pond they got Canelo Alvarez over here they got Anthony Joshua over there deals with Golden Boy deals with Matchroom they got the World Boxing Super Series so DAZN made a huge splash now how is that going to play out over the next few years we don't know some people think DAZN isn't going to work some people think boxing has to be on network TV but remember at one point people thought Netflix wasn't going to work that blockbuster video was the only way people are going to rent movies and stuff. People thought, ah, no one's going to stream shows and stuff on Hulu. Like, this stuff ain't going to work. And now it's destroying cable, those platforms. So I think we have to give DAZN a chance. What makes me feel confident about it is the size of their investment. This is huge. And the scope of their investment. Because I know some of you will bring up PBC's investment. They had a half a billion dollar financial investment. But that investment had no game plan. They were throwing spaghetti at the wall as far as networks go. Remember, they were like on five, six different networks. There was no rhyme or reason to any of it. And it was with one promoter, Al Heyman, who, yeah, 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 he's an advisor. He's a promoter. You look at this, what DAZN's doing. Multiple uh, promoters, multiple platforms. They're is a rhyme and reason to it because the World Boxing Super Series, for instance, there's a schedule there. There's a bracket there. So you know what you're going to get. You're also, it's not just in one country. It's in multiple countries, multiple continents. You're getting stuff from Japan. You're getting stuff from the UK, Germany, United States. It's all over. So the size and the scope of their investment and who they invested in makes me very, very confident with the zone. I'll say this, and then I'll move forward here. Um, HBO getting out of the sport, you know, um, the promoters saw that coming a couple years away, the smart ones, like the top ranks and people like that. They go where the, the business is. The promoters and the fighters, they're going to go where the business is. When HBO was first starting, the promoters went there. All the other promoters followed to HBO, to Showtime, because that's where the business was going. Now you see people, the promoters, going back to network TV, going to these streaming platforms because they can see that is where the business is going. And it's not just boxing, it's sports and entertainment as a whole. That's where it's going. So this year, man, so much changed. 
I feel that we're going to be looking back at 2018 a few years from now and just saying like, man, that's the year all this shit started. That's the year all this shift happened. It was in 2018. And what's crazy is for me in my personal life with Miss Tiffany Lamb over here, it was a huge shift in our world too. So I, for me, it's always just going to stick out. This year is always going to stand out to me because so many things happened in boxing, so much changed, and so many things changed in my life. Now, I'm willing to bet a lot of you guys watching or if you watch later or listen later, you'll probably say the same thing about your life. It just feels like right now in our world, there's all this shifting and changing happening. And I think it's overall for the good. I really do. All right, do we have any questions right now? Before I get to some, uh, some more awards here, let's, uh, all right, I'll talk one more award while Tiffany grabs some questions. Um, okay, trainer of the year. I'll, I'll hit this one real quick because it's another obvious one. Anatoly Lomachenko. If you don't have him as your trainer of the year, you're stupid. <laughs> you're stupid. Jack, I didn't skip you. Jack, I see you there, but I'm going to get to you, man. I'm going to get to you. Um, Tiffany's just grabbing some questions right now, but, um, trainer of the year, Anatoly Lomachenko. Let me know if you guys think I'm wrong on that one, but I don't think so. But Eddie Reynoso, really close. The reason why I didn't pick Eddie Reynoso is because he really only has one client and that's Canelo Alvarez. Now he recently took on a couple more guys, Ryan Garcia, Oscar Valdez. So he's taking on more fighters. If we see those guys improve next year, the way Canelo has improved in the last couple of years, well, guess what? Eddie Reynoso will be the trainer of the year at that point. Also, you got to include guys like uh, Ben Davidson, Robert Garcia, uh, Shingo Inoue, Naoya Inoue, a fight of the year, fight, fighter of the year contender. So uh, those guys are all up there. But Anatoly Lomachenko, clearly the trainer of the year, not just because of Vasily Lomachenko and what he's doing, the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world right now, but because Oleksandr Usyk, everything I talked about at the beginning of this video, yes, Usyk has kind of a mixed camp. He has a few different voices in camp, and he kind of goes back and forth. But Anatoly Lomachenko has been a part of that camp since 2017. And I don't know about you guys, but Usyk has been looking better to me over the last year or so since uh, Lomachenko got involved with them. So when you got the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter on the planet and the fighter of the year... Yeah, you're the trainer of the year. All right, let's, let's get to some questions here. Uh, Jack Alter. Jack, see, I didn't skip over you. <laughs> some of the best knockouts of the year. And what do you think is the best? I say Usyk Belly was the best knockout. Charlo Centeno was another good one. Jack, uh, I'll talk knockout of the year real quick for you, man. Um, for me, I like both of those. And they're both, I, I just have some notes here. They're both two of my top candidates. I'll give some other candidates, too. Nayoya Inoue KO1 over Juan Carlos Payano. He also had a, a good first round knockout over what, Jamie McDonald over in the UK too. So Inoue had two knockout of the year contenders. Tiafimo Lopez over Mason Menard. How about that knockout in the first round? That was sick. That is up there. Knockout of the year contender. Usyk Bellew, as you mentioned. Dillian White KO6 Lucas Brown. Remember that one? I feel like people are forgetting that one. That was a rough, brutal knockout, dude. Uh, Jamal Charlo, KO2, Hugo Centeno, obviously, that was a brutal knockout. But I'll tell you what, man. Last weekend, I don't know if you guys saw it, but we saw the rematch between Dillian White and Derek Chisora. 
And for me, maybe it's because it's the most recent, but when I saw that, I was like, holy shit, that is the knockout of the year. In the 12th round of a grueling heavyweight fight, a rematch between White and Chisora, better than their first fight. And by the way, that's also, I should have mentioned that as a fight of the year contender. White Chisora too, absolutely a fight of the year contender. But for White, strangely enough, Chisora was ahead on the cards, which I thought was ridiculous. I thought White should have been ahead. I thought he was controlling the second half of that fight with his jab and his movement. But it was a close competitive fight. But for him to end that night with that left hook, holy shit, Chisora was out before he hit the canvas. He had shown a sturdy chin that whole fight. Ate a lot of punches, but that left hook came out of nowhere. It was beautiful. And for White to have two knockout of the year contenders this year, he has absolutely, in my opinion, earned that rematch with Anthony Joshua that he's going to get in April. I have no issue with that fight happening because he has absolutely earned it. He has improved. All right, let's get to some more questions here. Anthony Rafter, should Bronner retire if he loses to Pack? I would say no, because he still gets paid for whatever reason. People still love the guy. He probably still has a, an agreement with PBC that's going a couple more years. As long as he can keep his ass out of jail, he could still make money. And at some point, he's already kind of there. But I think if he loses badly to Pacquiao, he'll officially be a gatekeeper. And PBC will use him to build up some of their newer prospects and stuff. But then again, they'll, they'll match him against other washed-up guys uh, because that's what they do, you know. And it's not that other promoters don't do it, but the PBC has so many guys like that. Broner can continue making paydays for a couple more years, bro, so I think he'll stick around. John Yun asks, what are your future predictions for 2019 candidates for the same awards, assuming they stay impressive? Well, John, I just talked about Eddie Reynoso. So if, if with Eddie Reynoso, if Canelo has a big year next year, 2019, you know, let's say he fights uh, Daniel Jacobs, beats him, takes that title, uh, does maybe a rubber match with Golovkin, beats him again more decisively. And then at the same time, Reynoso's new clients, Oscar Valdez, Ryan Garcia, show marked improvement. I think he's probably a leading contender for trainer of the year. And all the other guys I mentioned, they'll be up there as well. If, uh, you know, if we see an upset, if we see Danny Jacobs beat Canelo, if there's like a crazy upset, his trainer, Andre Rozier, he's in the discussion. Uh, the Furies, if Tyson Fury beats Deontay Wilder in that rematch, that's trainer of the year, possible fighter of the year. So uh, it just depends on what we see. Uh, as far as fighter of the year next year, um, I don't see Lomachenko moving up in weight again. I don't think he's going to get the Mikey Garcia fight. Uh, Oleksandr Usyk might make the move to heavyweight, but he's not going to fight a top guy yet. Somebody like Tyson Fury has an absolute chance to win it if he beats Wilder. Um, Inouye. If Inouye wins the World Boxing Super Series, you know, one of the winners of the World Boxing Super Series, they have a chance. Jarrett Hurd has a chance because he's going to fight, they say, uh, he's going to unify all the titles, which now would be Tony Harrison. Who knows if Harrison rematches Charlo? I don't know. But if he gets a fight with one of those guys, beats them, cleans out that division, and moves up to 160, he's a player, right? Don't forget Terrence Crawford. So fighter of the year, it's going to be one of those guys. Uh, fight of the year, who knows? 
We just don't know. If Wilder and Fury do it again, I think that fight will be great. If Golovkin and, um, and Canelo do it again, I don't think it's going to be as good as that second fight. So we'll see. Rockstar1996. Have you seen Abel Sanchez, other cruiserweight, Arsen Gulmarin? He looks pretty impressive, and I just hope cruiserweight doesn't get forgotten if Usyk moves up. Yeah, I've seen him. Uh, a little rough around the edges. Uh, a little, not exactly, but a little Maria Gassiev in him. Not the most fluid guy, but powerful. Uh, one thing Abel Sanchez teaches his guys is how to punch through the target, how to make your shots count. Absolutely a guy to keep an eye on. I'm with you on cruiserweight. That's why I like the World Boxing Super Series Season 2 going right back to the cruiserweight division. I think they should do a cruiserweight tournament every year. Why the hell not? The fights are good, and it's an underrated division. So I don't think Usyk will move up by the end of next year, but I think he's going to have one or two more cruiserweight fights. And I would love to see Usyk next year fight the winner of the World Boxing Super Series Season 2 cruiserweight tournament. I think that'd be great. DS Kendall's 210 asks... Does DAZN really have AJ locked up? Hearn's still doing biz with Showtime. Yes. Yes, they do. They have a long-term deal with Anthony Joshua. He is going nowhere. So DAZN, as I said, big investments in Canelo Alvarez and Anthony Joshua. Uh, Hearn does do some business with other networks uh, through other fighters that have other contracts. But eventually all his guys are going to DAZN. Let's get back to a, another award here. Let's see. I did Fighter of the Year, Fight of the Year, Knockout of the Year, Trainer of the Year. Let's talk Upset of the Year. Upset of the Year is always a big one, right? And this year, we had some, some good upsets. Uh, Maurice Hooker, split decision 12 over Terry Flanagan. That was an upset. People didn't see that coming. Eladir Alvarez, KO7, Sergey Kovalev. Although a lot of people did per, uh, pick Alvarez, I certainly thought it was going to be a tough night. I didn't see him knocking Sergey out in the seventh round like that. And if you saw the first five, six rounds of that fight, Kovalev was winning. And really, in, in certain spots, he looked like he was coasting. He just tired out in like the fifth, sixth round and got stopped in the seventh. So that was an upset. You know, Josh Warrington beating Lee Selby, that was an upset at the time. But when we just saw what Warrington did against Frampton, you guys remember, I thought Frampton was going to win that fight, and pretty decisively, I picked Frampton. Uh, we found out Warrington's for real. So his win over Lee Selby, yes, at the time we saw it as an upset, but now I look back and I'm like, nah, not really. Warrington's a player. He's improved. We can say the same thing um, with, uh, well, you know what? Rob Brandt beating Ryota Murata. That is up there. Because Brandt, you look back to 2017, and he fought the German, Jürgen Brommer, and lost. And it was pretty decisive, right? And coming into that fight, Murata should have been undefeated. He had one loss on his resume. He lost last May to Hassam Nindam, but that was a robbery. He, he deserved a decision, and rightfully so, the WBA mandated a rematch, and he beat him again decisively. So going into that fight, people thought Murata was going to absolutely win this not necessarily flatten the guy, but decisively win on the cards. And for Rob Brandt to win that, certainly up there. But for me, personally, Christopher Rosales, TKO 9 win over Daigo Higa. And the reason why I pick Rosales Higa as my upset of the year, it's a couple things. Higa was not only undefeated coming into that fight, 
He was 15-0 with 15 knockouts. He was killing everybody. He looked like possibly another Naoya Inoue coming up from that part of the world over in Asia, right? A Chinese version of him. He, he looked really, really good, really dominant. Now, he missed weight for his fight with Rosales, so he was drained. But Rosales came into this fight with several losses, right? And then since that fight, since that fight, Rosales beat Higa, stopped him, which I think was a shock. Not just beating him, but stopping him. But then he goes on, and he just lost to Charlie Edwards, December 22nd. And it wasn't a freak loss, like a, a knockout or anything. He was just outboxed, outclassed by a better, better fighter. So Christopher Rosales isn't necessarily the greatest fighter. He isn't the fighter we thought he was. Him beating Higa like that, looking back, to me that's the upside of the year. But I wouldn't be mad at you if you had Rob Brandt over Ryota Murata. I think that um, that definitely uh, was up there. 1A, 1B, those two fights. Uh, comeback of the year. This is another obvious one. You could say Manny Pacquiao is a candidate because technically last year he lost to Jeff Horn. I know I felt he won. A lot of you guys felt he won. But officially, he lost to Jeff Horn. Comes back this year, scores a dominant victory against a completely shot fighter for a bullshit, paper-thin WBA title. But still, it is a comeback for him. And now he's got a pay-per-view against Adrian Broner, of all people, in a few weeks. And I'll do live fight commentary for that one. So watch that with me, guys. That'll be fun. But obviously, the comeback of the year in 2018 is Tyson Fury. He, you could absolutely make an argument that he beat Deontay Wilder in their fight December 1st. I'm cool with the draw, as I explained, because of the two knockdowns. And it was really, for, if not for just two brief lapses in defensive responsibility for Tyson Fury, he wins that fight on points and he's a WBC heavyweight world titleist right now. And him and Anthony Joshua share the heavyweight division at the top. So without those two knockdowns, he's the champ. But to get off the canvas like he did in the 12th, when I thought he was done, go back to my live fight commentary where I'm watching it and I'm like, holy shit, I thought the fight was over. And then he gets up. That's what we all thought, right? So his comeback in that fight, just to finish on his feet, was a symbol of his entire comeback just in life, not just in boxing, but in life. This guy was on the brink of disaster, uh, self-imploding, mental illness issues, addiction issues, depression, all this stuff, and he comes back from it, and then he gets a draw against Wilder, and instead of freaking out and being pissed off, he showed gratitude. And it's not that he was showing gratitude, he showed some gratitude to Wilder, to the fans, but he was almost showing gratitude just to life, just to be where he is right now, knowing the struggle he had to get back to this level and prove that win over Klitschko was not a one-time fluke. Tyson Fury is legit. So um, I obviously, comeback of the year. I feel that a lot of the awards this year are very obvious. The only one, you know, knockout of the year, there's a few different ways you could go. Upset of the year, a few different ways you could go. But these other, these other uh, categories, guys, pretty obvious. This year we had some real clear-cut winners. Do we have any more questions? Uh, yeah. I have a question. What's your question? And you have 
Okay, I'll do these first. And then Tiffany has a question. Ooh. DS Kennels 210, I got a question for Tiffany. What is your photography gear and what kind of pointer can you give a newbie? All right, that's technical stuff. I'll let Tiffany answer that. CN asks, when do you think top rank will match Teofima Lopez with Lomachenko? Any news on Loma's April opponent or Crawford Khan? Okay, so let's start with Teofima Lopez. He, Lopez and his dad are uber confident, and they want Lomachenko right now. Grandpa Bob don't want that shit. Grandpa Bob probably realizes that Mikey Garcia is going to get flattened by Errol Spence. And who knows? Maybe Garcia wins that fight. We'll see. But win, lose, or draw, Garcia is not going to want to fight Lomachenko. It's just pretty clear he doesn't want to do it. His people don't want to do it. Loma's style is not good for him. So probably not going to happen. So if you're Grandpa Bob and you want to build to that big, big fight for Lomachenko that moves the needle, maybe Teofimo Lopez is the guy, and that's in-house. That's an all-top-ranked show. However, Teofimo Lopez is nowhere near as big right now as he's going to be at some point. So if I'm team top rank, and they're very smart, they've been in this business for a long time, what they're going to do, I believe, is continue to build up Teofimo Lopez. And if they can get him on shows, uh, on Vasily Lomachenko fights, and get him in co-mains and start building them up together, and start banging the drums for that kind of fight, sure, maybe in a year or two we can see that. Remember, Lomachenko, they're building a brand with him <coughs> in New York. And Teofimo Lopez is from Brooklyn. So... That fight could move the needle 18 to 24 months from now, but I don't think it's ready in 2019. I just don't. Lopez has still got to prove himself against a top 10 level fighter in the division. And then the other part of your question, uh, Loma's April opponent, really have no idea, man. Um, there's a couple names being tossed around, but I wouldn't feel comfortable giving them right now. Um, all that should be announced, I would say, in January, by the end of the month. It's coming soon, okay? Uh, for Crawford Khan, it's, it, that fight is a real possibility. So in the next coming weeks, you might see an announcement there. I don't love that fight, but I don't hate it. I get why Khan wants to do it. I get why Crawford would want to do it. I don't know exactly where they're going to go. Do they go to Vegas? Connor's traveled to Vegas a million times before. I don't know, but we'll see. I, I do think that is definitely a possibility. Uh, Joshua uh, Wilder, hashtag Joshua Wilder asks, worst job by judges this year? <laughs> oh, there's a couple. There's a couple. Who is the guy, I can't even think of his damn name right now, who in the Wilder Fury fight scored it so widely for Wilder. Damn it, I can't think of his name right now. Um, I know he's originally from Mexico. Uh, but that was pretty shitty scorecard. Uh, I think the judges having Chisora up over uh, White was a shitty scorecard. We've seen a few of them this year. But probably the worst one this year, at least at the time I'm thinking right now, man, that judge, Alejandro Rochin, that's who it was, who had uh, Wilder up so high, so far ahead of Tyson Fury, it put a stain on a great freaking fight. And we've seen that a couple times this year. And then there was one judge who had Bellew 
way ahead of Usyk. If you had that fight even or whatever through the first six rounds, I understand. But to have Bellew way ahead, I think that was a shitty scorecard. Nobody, though, this year, I think, got as bad as Adelaide Bird's scorecard in that Canelo-Golovkin fight last year, the first one last year. Because that was the biggest fight of the year and the, the, just the shittiest scorecard we had seen in years that directly affected the outcome of the fight. Because had, whoever, had she scored it for Triple G like she should have, or if it was another judge who had it for Triple G, he would have won by split decision. And nobody would be bitching about Canelo getting the decision this year. So that scorecard was so bad that it reverberated to a fight a year later. That's how bad Adelaide Bird's scorecard was. And people are still making jokes and memes about it. And even some of the commentary guys like on Zone and ESPN have mentioned it still this year. So I don't think there were any this year that bad in an event as big. Joel Morgan, what's up, Joel? How you doing, man? He asks, uh, any more word on where Triple G is going to land? I'm kind of surprised we haven't heard an announcement so far yet. You know, uh, no. It, for, for me, I still believe they're going to go with the zone. I know people have talked about him going to PBC. If he goes to PBC, he could fight Charlo. And I think based on what we saw, right, the, the cat's out of the bag with the Charlos. They're not as good as everybody thought they were. Uh, Jarrett Hurd would be a, a real challenge. But other than that, if Golovkin just wants to have highest reward with lowest risk, PBC is the way to go because that's how they do business. If he wants to try to fight Canelo again, and I think despite all of his complaining and bitching about the judges, justifiably so, I think he still wants to fight him. You've still got Daniel Jacobs. You've still got Demetrius Andrade. you got other guys uh, fighting on the zone, and their budget seems big, and they seem willing to throw out the big bucks for big stars. So I still think he's going to the zone. It is the end of the year. People are on holiday. I know right now, uh, you know, Loeffler's been tra Tom Loeffler has been traveling a lot lately. Um, people are with their families. I know the Sanchez family has been doing the holiday thing. Golovkin's been with his family. Everyone's been traveling. Expect something to come out at some point in January or February. Cody8804 asks, why does PBC have a great schedule and DAZN has none? <laughs> Cody... Oh, Cody, don't ever change, Cody. Um, if you look at the way PBC has done business the last few years, they stack their deck at the top of the year. It's what they do. They have some good quality matchups in the, the first quarter of this year, some fights that are interesting. But keep in mind, two of them are pay-per-view. Two of them they are going to ask you to pay $80 for, okay? And let's remember December 1st, they asked you to pay $80 for Wilder Fury. So that means within four months, if you go from December to March, this year December to next March, PBC's asking you to pay for three pay-per-views. Now, as much as a lot of you guys bitch about pay-per-view, I don't hear the PBC pom-pom waivers complaining about that. That's $240 in four fucking months they're asking you to pay. Now... Spence Garcia is kind of an interesting fight because you want to see can Garcia do it. But is it a fight that really truly means anything? Not really. It doesn't do anything for the lightweight division, which is where Garcia fights. It doesn't really do anything for the welterweight division. If, if Spence knocks out Garcia, does that really prove anything? 
For him as a welterweight, no. So it, does, it doesn't matter. Same thing can really be said with Pacquiao versus Broner. It's a crossroads kind of fight. It's, it's fighter, fighters with name recognition. I get it. But like, it's not that meaningful of a fight. Now, Wilder Fury was two of the top heavyweights fighting. That was a meaningful fight. I get why it was pay-per-view. The pay-per-view undercard was shit. But anyway, dude, great schedule up front. I hear you. DAZN right now doesn't really have a loaded schedule in the beginning of the year. But look what DAZN gave you in 2018, dude. And look at the roster they have. I think they're going to fill out the schedule in 2019 and they're going to be good. PBC down the, the road in 2019, are we going to get Errol Spence versus Keith Thurman? Are we going to get some of these fights that we want? We'll see. I don't know. Any more questions or is it time to get to some more awards? All right, Rockstar. Rockstar1996 asks, is Golovkin going to sign with anyone even, Mike? Might he just take it one fight at a time now, maybe? It's possible. It's possible. Um, you know, Tom Loeffler is his promoter, but he also is a self-promoter. He has Triple G promotions. So uh, he might want to do it on a one-by-one -one basis. But generally speaking, the way these deals work is that if you want to fight, if you want to, to go to DAZN, let's say, and fight Canelo Alvarez again, DAZN's going to want to have a piece of you if you win. So DAZN's probably not going to say, hey, come here for a one-off when they've invested hundreds of millions of dollars in Canelo Alvarez, right? If Golovkin, let's say, wants to fight Canelo late next year, I don't think they're going to fight in the spring. Well, if you're DAZN, would you want to shell out a bunch of money and then possibly Golovkin wins and you don't get him for the next fight? No, you're going to want a guarantee that says, look, if you win... We get options on your next two fights. And we want to do a fourth fight with Canelo. You know what I'm saying? And I, I could go on for an hour about this. But that's generally speaking how these things work. So I don't expect Golovkin to do one-offs. He's not in a situation like a Floyd Mayweather or somebody like that who moves the needle so much that he could do a one-off whenever he feels like it. Golovkin's not that big of a star. So he, he can't demand that. So, no, I don't see him doing that. He's going to sign with somebody. AJC433 asks, do we know where Loma is going? As far as going where? As far as who is he fighting next? We don't know. But it will be at 135 pounds. He's not going up to 140. And it's either going to be in New York or Los Angeles. Possibly Vegas, but that's only going to be for a big fight. So it's either going to be New York or L.A. Um, are you going to answer your question? Yes. Okay. Now it's my turn. Actually, you have one more question. Let's well, go ahead. Answer your question. Tiffany's going to talk about her equipment. <laughs> go ahead. You had to get close to the mic, though. All right. So in terms of photography, I use a Canon T5i. Um, and in terms of pointers, I would just say take a bunch of fucking photos and then try different angles, try different things, and see what works. That's it. And I would, I would tell you, um, you know, I have a little experience taking a million pictures and being in front of the camera uh, and also helping Tiffany because we work together on a lot of this stuff. Lighting is a big deal. Even balanced lighting. Lighting is going to be your, lighting and focus are going to be your two biggest issues when you start out doing photography. Yes. 
But in terms of boxing photography, the ring is what it is. Just take a bunch of pictures. Yeah, boxing photography. Get the camera, the lenses that have the, what is it called, focus points? Focal yeah. points. Yeah, there's a lot of cameras out there, dude, that like a standard camera, let's say, has four focal points or focus points. I can't remember what the technical term is. You'll see dudes ringside who have a camera or a lens that has like 16 focus points. To where the photographer is average, but the lens is so damn good that their shots look awesome. So a lot of times, if you're doing sports photography, it's about the equipment, dude. It's about the equipment. It's also honestly about luck. It's being able to capture the right shot at the right time and just getting lucky to a certain degree because everybody's constantly moving, things are moving, and you might just get lucky and get the shot. And the way you increase your luck with that is you take a million freaking pictures. Exactly. That's how you increase it. <laughs> Each picture is a lottery ticket. You have yeah, a better chance for winning the lottery if you buy a thousand tickets. Okay. I'll, I'll do these questions in just a second. I want to talk about the event of the year. Event of 2018 in boxing. So obviously I talked about Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. That was a big event. That was the second biggest fight of the year, really. And it lived up to expectations. And there was high drama. And it was in America and Los Angeles in a big media market. Uh, the, you know, the entertainment capital of the world. So uh, yes, that was an event of the year candidate. Canelo Alvarez versus Gennady Golovkin 2, obviously the biggest event of the year. So that was, uh, or the biggest fight of the year, I'm sorry. One of the biggest events of the year in boxing. The World Boxing Super Series. We wrapped up season one. We started season two. And then not only are there two tournaments in season two, there are three tournaments. And you got some of the best fighters in the world fighting in them. The fights have been awesome. The production has been awesome. So the, so. The World Boxing Super Series, absolutely, just as a whole, one of the biggest events of the year, the DAZN launch. I talked about that a minute ago. Changing the game. I really, really think the DAZN launch is a thing that we are going to be talking about five, ten years from now that changed the sport of boxing. And it happened this year. But to me, the biggest event of the year, HBO leaving boxing. Guys, HBO was in the business for decades, for basically half a century. And for basically half a century, they had the biggest names. You look back at all the fights of the year, many of them were on HBO. Many of the rounds of the year were on HBO. Probably the majority of the fighter of the year, fights of the year, rounds of the year, uh, upsets, of the, maybe not upsets, but the majority of those things over the last half century were, part, were at HBO. And for them to get out of boxing and not leave with this big bang, if you, if you include HBO pay-per-view, okay, Golovkin, Canelo 2, yeah, that was going out with a bang, but that wasn't their last broadcast and it wasn't on regular HBO. That was one last money grab for everybody before they got out. Their last event was that Cecilia Brekus card in LA where maybe 500, maybe a thousand people were there. I don't even think a thousand people. You had an event going on in New York on ESPN that was a sellout that did massive ratings, the second highest rated boxing card of the year. On the same night, HBO is having its last boxing broadcast. It was so symbolic 
of the changing of the game in the sports world. Boxing, you guys are going to think I'm crazy. Boxing always leads the way in trends of sports. If you look back over the last 100 years plus here in America and you look at immigration trends, you'll see parallels in boxing. Uh, political trends, you'll see parallels in boxing. Long before there was a Jackie Robinson, who, who everyone credits for breaking the color line in sports, you had several boxers doing it. There wouldn't have been a Jackie Robinson without a Joe Lewis. There wouldn't have been a Joe Lewis without a Jack Johnson, right? Sam Langford, never a big star, but guys like that. It happens in boxing first. Almost every damn time, go back over the history of sports and entertainment in America over the last century, and you will see what I'm saying. Political change, social change, uh, the platforms, how we, uh, how we view sports, how we talk about it. It's, it starts with boxing, man. HBO leaving and leaving the way they did, to me again, makes me look at something like The Zone and feel confident. It's the old guard leaving, the new guard taking over. That was a huge event. We're going to be talking about this a decade from now, and there are going to be documentaries about it. There are going to be books written about it. Mark my words, because I already know a few people that have started some. Trust me. Biggest event of the year, HBO leaving boxing. Okay, let's go back to some questions before I lose my voice. Um, Nino Gadget, what's up, Nino? Are we going to get stiffed out of Spence Crawford, Mike? Well, if Spence loses to Garcia, yeah. Um, I don't know, dude. I hope not. That There is a very good chance that could become this generation's Mayweather-Pacquiao. I hope and I pray to the boxing gods that that becomes this generation's Leonard Hearns because that's what it really could be. But it's probably going to end up becoming this generation's Mayweather-Pacquiao. Think about it this way, dude. Terrence Crawford would take that fight tomorrow. He would fight Errol Spence tomorrow. And I say that with the utmost of confidence. He wants it more than Grandpa Bob wants it, okay? But Spence, Thurman, all the guys at PBC, they don't want that shit. They don't. Again, look what just, the Charlos just kind of got a little exposed. Don't be surprised if you see Spence get a little exposed against Mikey Garcia in a few months. Don't, call me crazy, but... I've been wrong before. I'm just saying, uh, before we ever see any of those welterweights at PBC fight Terrence Crawford, they're going to fight each other. So uh, if Thurman wins, he's got a fight coming up, Keith Thurman, and fights more than one time in 2019, we're going to get Thurman and Spence way before we ever get either of those guys fighting Crawford. So you can't even talk Crawford-Spence until you see Spence and Thurman fight. So if we get that fight, we could start talking about Spence, who I think would beat Thurman, because I think Thurman's mentally checking out of boxing. Then we could talk Spence Crawford, but not right now. Jack Alter, all right, I got a serious question, not trying to be rude, but what makes you always get so mad? You'll always, you'll always say stuff like, if you didn't have Anatoly Lomachenko trader of the year, you're an idiot. Jack, that's just the way I talk, man. <laughs> I'm not mad. Mike's an asshole. I'm an asshole. <laughs> but I'm your asshole. I'm, I'm, I'm a lovable asshole. No, look, seriously, man. Um, 
it goes back to my childhood a little bit. I grew up in the inner city. I grew up up north. That's how people talk. I grew up in a you know, working class, blue collar type of existence. That's how the people talked. I was in the Marine Corps. Military people talk that way. We call each other idiots and asshole, but it's in love. It's in fun. Tiffany's only seen me get mad once or twice. When I get mad, you'll know I'm mad because I turn into a psychopath. Oh, yeah, you'll know when he's mad. Yeah, it's scary. You know, I don't like getting mad because I try not to get mad because I usually almost black out. That's how crazy I get if I get mad. So I'm a passionate, animated guy and I use big words and I raise my voice and talk big and stuff, but that's, I'm just being animated, man. I'm not mad at all. And when I say idiot, I'm half joking. You, you, if you have somebody else for trainer of the year, you're not an idiot. You know, I just disagree. It's just the way I communicate, man. And the people in my life, uh, my family members and stuff, they'll tell you, if I don't call you an asshole or a dick or something, it means I don't love you. So the more I say words like idiot, dick, bitch, it means I love you. If I'm talking shit to you, yeah, I'm a little crazy. They can't hear you. You got to say it into the microphone. They just need to. I'm, I'm Italian, you know? It's just oh, my she, hands. Tiffany's Italian by association. But, yeah, yeah, maybe it's an Italian thing. I don't know. But, yeah, dude, that's all it is. Trust me, I, I'm not mad at all, man. Only been a few times I've ever, ever been mad. Rockstar1996 wants to know why is Coppinger such a douche? Rockstar1996 asks, why is Mike Coppinger such a douche? You know what, dude? There's a lot... <laughs> I, I can't talk too much on the record. We both work at the same publication. But uh, a lot of people don't like that guy. A lot of what I would call boxing people don't like that guy. But some of the corporate executive types and network type people like him. That's... Sometimes it's about who you know, who you blow. That's all I'm going to say about that. But um, if we ever get to meet at a fight in person, we'll talk about it in person. There's a whole lot of scoop I could give you, baby, but not here on the record. Okay. Prospect of the year. This is another obvious one for me. I'm not going to call you guys an idiot. I don't want to upset you, Jack. I won't call you an idiot if you have somebody else other than me. But prospect of the year. Okay. Jerron Enos. Is there a Jerron Ennis or Enos? Because if it was Jerron Enos, now I know why he got into boxing. Because he probably got picked on a lot in school growing up. If your last name rhymes with penis, you better know how to fight. But Jerron Ennis, I'm going to call him Ennis. <laughs> He's my runner-up. 22-0 out of Philly, welterweight. 5-0 this year. The records of his opponents... This year, 104 wins, 41 losses, and four draws. That's impressive, man. Good-looking prospect. So Philly, which used to be a real fight town, doesn't really have many fighters anymore. You know, Danny Garcia's been their guy recently. Maybe Jerron can take that mantle and even go further with it than Danny Garcia. We shall see. But, um, look, there's a couple other guys I could talk about, but to be the obvious prospect of the year, and he put a stamp on it in his fight with Mason Menard, is Teofimo Lopez. 11-0 out of Brooklyn. 4-0 this year in 2018. I talked about the record of Jerron Ennis' opponents. 
the record of Tiafimo Lopez's opponents this year, 103 wins, 19 losses. So he's fighting good quality guys and dominating them, looking good. He's not fighting the, the elite level top 10 guys yet, but for a fighter with 11 fights, you look at the records of the guys he fought this year, it's pretty damn impressive. And a KO of the year candidate against Menard to just put a stamp on it. Clearly the prospect of the year. Tiafimo Lopez, by this time next year, will be a contender. So definitely prospect of the year. Now, round of the year. This is one that isn't as obvious. This is one of those that uh, you could go a couple different ways, man. I talked about uh, V Sai versus Estrada round 12. I was there, witnessed that live. That was special stuff. Gassiev Dorticos. Last round of that fight when Gostiev got him out of there, high drama. You don't often see stoppages like that late in the fight. Not that kind of stoppage. You might see an accumulation, ref stoppage, or the corner throws in the towel, but not off a monster, monster hook that Gostiev landed, a counter hook that dropped Dorticos. And somehow Dorticos, who is a certifiable badass, got up off the canvas and survived eventually was stopped but for him to even get up from that holy shit high drama uh show kimura versus kosei tanaka round two of that fight i talked about sato zapavinia earlier round four of that fight good action-packed stuff both of those rounds but for me tyson fury versus deontay wilder round 12 that is the round of the year for several reasons that fight was up for grabs going into the final round. If you look at the scorecards and everything, you know, Alejandro Rochin already had, you know, the fight decided. But other than him, the other two guys, and basically everybody watching there at Staples Center and around the world, that fight was up for grabs, man. And Deontay Wilder knew it, and he, he put together that jab, right hand, left hook combination. It was pretty stuffed. Textbook boxing stuff. For him to punch with that kind of power that late in the fight that he was losing, very impressive to put together a combination like that and drop Fury. For Fury to get up from that and for the last minute of that round, for him to give Wilder the business and almost have Wilder hurt going to the last, you know, uh, the, the, the bell ringing for the last round of that fight. Dude, that was an amazing climax to a, a good heavyweight fight. It wasn't a great heavyweight fight in my opinion. I think some people overrated a little bit, but it was a very good heavyweight fight with an outstanding ending. And it left you wanting for more, man. How many of you who, who saw the first fight don't want to see the rematch, right? We all want to see the damn rematch now because of what they gave us in that 12th round. That to me is the round of the year. All right, we got any more questions? You got two more. Two more? Let me go to my question thing. Oh, you know how to do that? Uh, I'm figuring it out. <laughs> Cody8804 asks, is Devin Haney still a prospect? It's been five years at least. When is he going to step up? Okay, so Cody, um, I interviewed Devin Haney for a piece I did in Ring Magazine. It should be out in the next issue. Uh, Devin Haney wants to fight for a title in 2019. He made that very clear. He has a fight coming up. Uh, January. It's an undefeated opponent, but a nondescript opponent. Haney should win. After that, their goal is to do a title eliminator fight in, uh, in the summer. 
and then a title fight in the fall at the very end of the year. So that's what Devin Haney wants to do. Remember, he promotes himself now. That is what he told me his game plan is for 2019. They are ready to step up now. They wanted to step up a little more this year. Remember, he had a fight scheduled this year, but that fight got canceled in the last minute because of issues with the opponent. So it kind of... Uh, kind of put the brakes on a little bit, okay? There's a bump in the road. But I believe Devin will absolutely fight for a title in 2019. He's uh, in the top 10, I think, with two sanctioning bodies, maybe three by now, and he's negotiating with all of them to get himself a title eliminator fight. So uh, depending on how he does with his next fight, which I think he'll win, one at least one of those groups will bump him up to an elimination fight this summer. That is what he wants, and I think he'll get it. Mark Funk, Marg Funk asks, uh, can Korobov demand a rematch from the WBC? Uh, I, I don't think there was a rematch clause in that fight for Korobov's side. I think there were rematch clauses in there for the Charlo side. So I think Charlo, Jermel Charlo, will likely demand a rematch to the BC uh, with Tony Harrison. But I don't think Korobov has that kind of pull. I don't think that was in the contract for him and his side. So I highly doubt we're going to see Charlo, Jamal Charlo, and Matt Korobov fight again. Korobov did very, very well for a guy who fought once in the last two years. But I thought that he just did not punch enough in the second half of that fight and gave it away. I thought he was up halfway through. I thought he was doing very well, but it was just all one speed and one punch at a time. He kind of gave the fight away, and unfortunately, his side does not have the negotiating power. Uh, he was just happy to get that fight and that opportunity, but I don't think he's going to get a rematch, no. we have any more questions? Jack wants Jack Alter, you want to know how you looked on the bag. Okay, one thing I noticed, and look, I, I don't know what you were working on specifically. One thing about heavy bag critique, okay? Some guys get in the heavy bag and they're just trying to sweat. Some guys are trying to get in the heavy bag and just um, warm up. Some guys are working on body shots. Some guys are working on rhythm, moving your feet with your hands. There's a million different things you could work on, okay? But one thing I saw you doing a lot was dropping your hands. Now, you had your hands here, and... A lot of people think this is having your hands up. This is having your hands up, okay? Um, and I know you've been training with Layman, and um, I, Layman's probably got you doing some very specific stuff, Layman Brewster. But um, when you're sparring, you want hands up, right? You want to Frankenstein that shit a little bit before you get really good with head movement and spacing and distance and all that. You want to be covered up. So I'd say when you're throwing your hooks, you're dropping your right hand. That shit should be here, right? So, you know, you work on your jab, get a right hand, duck down, duck down, hook. You want to work on keeping your hands up, right? When you're, when you're, every punch you throw, you should have a hand up. And I'm not talking here. I'm talking here. I want some shit up by your temple. Get used to leaving your hands up here when you're hitting the heavy bag, when you hit the speed bag. A lot of people put the speed bag to where, like, the belly of it's right at their chin, I think that's the wrong way to do it. I think you should put it higher so that you have to reach, so that you really get used to getting your hands high. A lot of people think they're putting their hands up until they spar, and they're like, holy shit, my hands are not up. You'll, you'll get kind of woken up if you're in there with somebody that sees that you're dipping your hands just a little bit below your, your eyes, your nose level. 
They'll jab you at the top of the damn head. So that would be my one thing, dude. Just get your hands up. Have your shit pinned. Slow motion it. Work on hooks, right? Work on hooks over here. And you can, there's different kinds of hooks. Work on right hands. Make sure you're turning your, your, your right foot as you shoot your right hand. Uh, make sure you're pushing up when you're jabbing, right? You're getting that lift off your back foot, boom, into your jab. Stuff like that. Make sure that you're keeping your elbows in. Make sure you're not flaring, you know, with this shit. You might have your hand up, but if you're like this, they're going to time you and go underneath that, you know? So you want to be down here. That's the kind of stuff to work on with the heavy bag. A lot of people just go beat the shit out of the heavy bag and they don't work on anything. You should be thinking and working. In every round that you're working on the heavy bag, you can work on something different. You can work on a different thing for that three minutes and then come back the next round and do nothing but focus on your footwork. Where are your feet while you're punching? Where's your head? You know what I'm saying? So that's the way to approach the heavy bag in my opinion. Almost like a fight. Every round work on something different. But you should be thinking. You shouldn't just be mindlessly swinging at the fucking bag. That's what most people do. And I can spot it right away. The trained eye can see that shit. But you look at pro fighters. They're thinking while they hit the bag. They're thinking, okay, you know, I'm going to work on distance this round. So when the bag's swinging, I'm swinging with it. Bag swinging this way, I'm swinging with it. The jab, if uh, the bag comes to me, I'm jabbing as I back up. It swings away from I'm jabbing as I move into it. I'm ducking around and I'm pivoting and then I'm doing it again. You know what I'm saying? So just think and try to remember fundamentals when you hit that bag, bro. All right, last question. Last question. Jacob Roberts wants to know, are you doing TNC for last week's action? Jacob Roberts, am I doing TNC for last week's action? Uh, no. What, what I'm going to do is I think... Not for, not this Monday, but I think next Monday, the week of January 12th, I believe, uh, I will be doing TNC then. And I will go over what we saw the last couple weeks. And I, there will be some fights to preview. I think Devin Haney's fight, I will be previewing that fight. I think that's coming up January 12th. So then TNC will be back. So it's going to be uh, off this week, but then back. Okay, so uh, you guys have any specific questions about how I thought about the white Chisora fight, stuff like that. Um, I talked about that here in this video. Uh, Frampton Warrington. I think maybe we overrated Frampton a little bit and maybe underrated Warrington a little bit. Uh, Warrington's absolutely for real and Frampton's kind of, you know, just fading. He's sliding down. Let's see, what else? Any other questions? Yeah, or are we good? Okay, I'm going to do... Okay. And I'm going to, real quick, most inspirational person in boxing this year. Uh, we could talk, you know, Cecilia Brekus being the first Ring Magazine pound for pound female champ, uh, being on HBO not once but twice. That was a, a historical accomplishment for female boxing in America. Um, we can talk about Daniel Franco, who, you know, last year survived a near fatal head injury and now advocates for boxer safety. He talked at the uh, Boxing Writers Association of America Award dinner this year. Um, super awesome guy and you know, very inspirational. We could talk about Tyson Fury, mental health awareness and what he's brought to the table with that. I think that um, there's gonna be other fighters right now who are prospects coming up who are gonna be able to look at what Tyson Fury went through and learn from that and not have to go through his, his 
low of lows as Tyson did because of what he's been putting on the record. Going on podcasts like the Joe Rogan podcast and talking about it and stuff, um, I, I think is a big deal for him. But most inspirational, Brendan Ingle. For those of you who don't know who that is, look him up, okay? Uh, he's a pioneering trainer, pioneering trainer over in the UK. Passed away this year, but left behind a wonderful legacy of doing work in his community. Left behind a foundation that does awesome work. Google it. Um, to me, that's the most inspirational because it's not just the impact of what you did while you're here on this earth, but there are very, very few people that have uh, an impact that continues to impact people after they're gone. And Brendan Ingle absolutely is and will continue to impact people's lives in a positive way long after he's been gone from this earth. So most inspirational in 2018. All right, guys, that is it. Thank you for the... 50 or so of you watch this live. It's, I know it's not going to be a lot of yeah, you watching live tonight. You guys are awesome. And hopefully, uh, I know a lot of you guys will be tuning into this in the coming uh, days and weeks. So, again, happy holidays. Happy New Year. Safe. Wear a rubber. Put on your seatbelt. All right? <laughs> I got to say it. And uh, we'll, we'll do it some more in 2019, guys. It's going to be great, man. Go Chargers! Go Rams! Go both. Chargers. All right. Peace. Bye!